Well, we're looking today at the um, uh, second reading from Hebrews that we had, Hebrews chapter 10. I like to call this the rabbit passage. It's the rabbit passage because rabbits like lettuce. And there are three lettuces in this particular passage. Let us, let us, let us. Sorry, that is appalling. I do, do apologise. Um, but I want to just speak about the first of those lettuces. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We're speaking about meeting with God. We come to church, we pray, we may have those amazing chill moments, but few of us know God. The amazing thing is that we're invited, though, to come into the presence of God. That is what prayer is really all about. In the Old Testament, people realized something that we have forgotten particularly in our Western tradition. You cannot simply rock up into the presence of God. They understood with a clarity that we have lost that God is utterly holy and utterly other. He is awesome. On one occasion, Moses dares to ask God for a vision. He says to God, would you show yourself to me? And God replies and says, Moses, I am so holy, so other, so utterly beyond anything that you can conceive or imagine, that if you saw me, it would blow your mind. Nobody can look on me and live. But, he says, I will show you something. I'll show you my back. I'll show you my shadow. Or think of Uzzah. He was a character in the Old Testament, one of the people who had to transfer the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the, the, the Ten Commandments and the rod uh, of Aaron, uh, and he had to transfer that Ark to Jerusalem. The Ark was being drawn by oxen, but it was shaking. So Uzzah put out his hand to steady the Ark, and he touched it. And we are told that God struck him and he died on the spot. Very wisely, the people decided at that point they would leave the ark where it was. Or Isaiah, he's a prophet in the Old Testament. He has a vision of the angel and archangels and the throne of God. He glimpses a little of the glory of God and he says, woe is me, for I am a sinful person and I live among sinful people and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Or when the people of Israel are in the wilderness, they've come out of Egypt, but they haven't yet gone into the promised land, they come to the mountain of Sinai and God appears to them, the glory of God appears. There's thick cloud and fire and thunder and the people are terrified, so they say to Moses, you go up the mountain because we can't. If we go up, we will die. God is like lightning. 
He created each of us in his image to be little channels of lightning. But because of my sin, my disobedience to God, my rebellion against God, I have ceased to be lightning. And so if God who is lightning touches me, or if I, who am merely mortal, with no element of lightning touch God, then I am dead. You can't simply rock up into the presence of God. But God in his love wants to have a relationship with us, despite our sin. He wants us to be intimate with him. He wants us to come to him, to reach out to him. He wants us to touch him without being burnt up. So he gives to the people of the Old Testament a way of coming safely into his presence. He gives them the temple in Jerusalem, a place where they can meet him safely. You have, uh, I hope, a little sheet, and on it there is a map of the temple. It was a large building divided into sections. On the outside was the court of the Gentiles, the non-Jews. That was as far as Gentiles could go. Then you had the court of women, the court of men, and the court of priests. And beyond the court of priests was the holy place. Only those priests who were on the service rota could go there. And right at the very heart of the holy place, separated it from it by a huge curtain, was the Holy of Holies, the place where God dwelt. And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and only once a year. And God also gave them the gift of sacrifice, you see, the high priest couldn't just waltz into the Holy of Holies. He couldn't just put on his Sunday best and walk in. He could only go into the presence of God if he was covered by a sacrifice. He identified himself with an animal. That animal was then killed in his place. The blood was smeared on him. By the way, if you're squeamish, you would not appreciate the Old Testament temple rituals. And the sacrifice, was blood was smeared on him, and then he was able to go into the presence of God. And what about the rest of the people of the Old Testament who couldn't go there? Well, they could turn to the priests who could turn to the high priests. And God said that if they people came to the temple and made a sacrifice, then he would hear their prayers. They would be allowed to sort of come close to the lightning and to live. But, says the writer to the Hebrews, with the coming of Jesus, something remarkable happened. There was a change. Jesus, he says, is the great high priest who, when he died on the cross 2,000 years ago, made one final 
all-sufficient sacrifice for all people, for Gentiles, for women, for men, for all time. Now God has not changed. He is still holy, he is still awesome, he is still other. But we no longer need the temple and we no longer need priests in the Old Testament sense because we have a great high priest. We no longer need to be smeared with the blood of animal sacrifices because the blood of Jesus covers us. And the amazing thing is, and it is amazing, is that because of Jesus, we can not only draw near, but we can touch lightning. Because of Jesus, we can come into the presence of God and not be struck dead. It says here, he has made a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is, through his flesh. So I imagine it a little like this. We're about to pray. We're about to approach lightning. We stand nervously at the entrance of the temple. We think, can I go in? Will I be welcome? Quite often I have people standing outside the church saying, am I allowed to go in? My head isn't covered. Can I go in? But Jesus is also there. And he takes us by the hand and he walks us through the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women and the court of the men and the court of the priests. And if people stop and stare and say, why are you here? When they see we are with Jesus, they step back and allow us to go through. And Jesus brings us into the holy place. In front of us we see the curtain but the curtain is torn. It was torn in two from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross. And we look through the torn curtain and we see nothing. We turn to Jesus and we say, but I thought I came here to meet with God. And Jesus says the curtain tore from top to bottom, not to allow you in, but to show that God is no longer there. He has come out. And you say to Jesus, but then where is he? And Jesus smiles and says, I am here. I am beside you and with you and in you. So we're invited not just to pray for things, that's like treating God as the genie in the bottle, but we're invited to actually come into the presence of God. We're invited to approach and touch lightning, and we can come with assurance. We come with a true heart. We come as we are, not pretending to be anything else with all our worries and fears and anxieties and desires and shame and mixed up emotions. Spoken with a couple of people today, I've said, how has your week been? And two of them have said, absolutely lousy. Well, we come with our lousy weeks. We come as open as we can be about our failures and our doubts and our weaknesses. 
And we come to him not because we want something from God, but because we want God. And we come with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and a body washed with pure water. It's obviously a reference to baptism, to repentance and faith. Because however foul our conscience, however much we cringe and want to crawl into a corner when we remember what we have done to other people, and however stained our body by sin, just think of Lady Macbeth looking at her hands and seeing the invisible blood, out damned spot, out I say, If we've turned to Jesus in repentance, then we come as forgiven men and women, washed inside and outside by God's Holy Spirit. We can talk about God, come to courses, read Christian books, say prayers, come to communion, but not meet with the presence of God. We don't meet with him when we hold on to ourselves, our agenda, our status, our lives. It's only when we're prepared to let go of these things and surrender everything to him, seek him with our whole heart and put our full assurance in Jesus that we will meet with him. I guess what I'm speaking about and what this passage is speaking about is that we need to hold together the holiness and the intimacy Some traditions within the Christian church emphasize the utter holiness and otherness of God. When a person first goes into an Orthodox church, they go into another world. Often above them there is an image of Christ the judge. There is a different language that needs to be learned. There are many more rules than there are here, and some of them are strict. The liturgy is given and long. You realize very quickly that God is other, that God is not to be messed with, that God asks for everything from you. And yet as you grow in that tradition, you also begin to understand the central place of that encounter with God, of intimacy with God, of the love of God. You only need to read the writings of the saints and fathers and mothers, ancient and modern, to realize that. This is a tradition in which you begin on your knees and the Lord Jesus lifts you up. We in our Western tradition tend to begin with the intimacy and love of God and emphasize the truth that Jesus is our friend. We try to strip away rules to make it open and accessible to everyone. But as we grow in our Christian faith, in our tradition, I hope we will begin to realize that the one who is our friend is also the eternal Son of God, who is holy, who is lightning. We begin by standing up, and the Lord Jesus helps us to kneel. Whatever tradition we are part of, we need to remember that we are invited, encouraged, though, to come into the presence of God. Let us approach. And we're invited, encouraged to come in full assurance, not in ourselves, for we simply cannot rock up into the presence of God, but in Jesus. 
And so this invitation is for everyone, or at least it is for everyone who's prepared to put their trust in Jesus and not in their own righteousness or worthiness. And because of Jesus, you can come into God's presence. You can do that anywhere and at any time. At three o'clock in the morning when you can't sleep, on the metro or during the day, in our heart and in our mind we can turn to him. It's also helpful to put aside time when you consciously choose to approach God. That probably means doing something physically different. You know, just as in a marriage, you're talking with your wife, you're talking with your partner, but then you need those special times when you go out together. Well, this is God time. It might involve going to a place which is special for you, or kneeling, or turning off the phone. Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. But at that moment, you are consciously and deliberately giving yourself to God. And of course, it's important to come to church in order to meet together, encourage one another in this and receive him. The passage speaks about the need to keep on meeting together and not get in the habit of not coming to church. It's significant that it speaks of the habit of not coming to church. And what we're doing today is a particularly powerful picture of what this is all about. In a few minutes' time, we will be invited to come forward for communion. Don't come forward thinking that this is just you doing your duty or that this is your right. This is one of the moments when we are coming forward to touch lightning, to touch holiness. But equally, don't hold back because you do not think you are sufficiently worthy. Tony Campolo, who uh, I love his writings, writes, Sitting with my parents at a communion service, he's writing from a Baptist church background, when I was very young, perhaps six or seven years old, I became aware of a young woman in the pew in front of us who was sobbing and shaking. The minister had just finished reading the passage of scripture written by Paul that says, Whosoever shall eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. As the communion plate with its small pieces of bread was passed to the crying woman before me, she waved it away and then lowered her head in despair. It was then that my Sicilian father leaned over her shoulder and in his broken English said sternly, Take it, girl. Take it, girl. It was meant for you. Do you hear me? She raised her head and nodded, and then she took the bread and ate it. I knew that at that moment some kind of heavy burden was lifted from her heart and mind. None of us is worthy to come here but we can come with the assurance that Jesus is our high priest who loves us, who died for us, who is our high priest, who has opened a new and living way for us to come into the presence of God. It really is all of Jesus. 
He is the one who actually brought you to church today. He is the one who is beside you now as I speak, telling you, oh, that Malcolm, he speaks far too many words. Don't listen to that. Uh, but do listen to this, because this is what I want you to hear. And he is the one, when you get up to come forward, will come with you. And as you stand here, he is the one who will stand beside you. And as you eat the bread and drink the wine, he is the one who, by faith, will come into you and change you. We will meet with lightning. We will meet with the Holy One. And he will begin to make you holy.